0: Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast. My name's Dom and I've been playing host to Conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors for the past nine seasons. This is the final episode on season nine. I cannot believe we are already through nine series and we'll be starting series 10 very, very soon. And you might notice going forward, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, that series 10 might have a slightly different feel with music and structuring, but... Ultimately, we're going to have the same conversations with interesting and inspiring people that we have done for the past nine series now. And ultimately, the aim for this podcast has been to entertain, educate, and inspire people through having conversations with a myriad of different people from the outside world and adventure world. So I hope you've enjoyed it so far. And thank you to everyone who has been listening sharing, liking, commenting, because it does make a massive difference and it's amazing to hear from you. So please, please continue to do that. Let's grow this outside and active community. Let's keep it going so we can continue to bring on some of the best guests. And this isn't what this podcast episode is actually going to be about. It's going to be going through an episode from each series or a clip from an episode from each series that I think really epitomizes this podcast, and it might be advice, it might be entertaining, or it might be interesting. And I think that it's something that you will want to hear. And you might have heard it before if you've been listening for a while. But if you haven't, then please stick with me as we go through some of these really, really amazing guests and what they've had to say. I've realised that I've been hosting this now for quite a while, and maybe some of you don't know who I am. So, hello, my name's Dom. I'm twenty five. I'm from the south of England in Surrey and I love being outside and active and I'm very lucky that I've been able to host this podcast for the last just under a year and bring you conversations with some of the most incredible people in the outside and active world. I mean, through having these conversations, I've gone from hating running 5k to actually taking on my own adventures, uh, such as an ultra marathon and a couple of marathons. So I hope it's had that same effect on you if you're listening, because it's really had an inspirational effect on me as well. So thank you for listening to this introduction. Thank you for sticking with the podcast. And I hope that you stick with us from season 10 onwards. I'm so, so excited to get cracking on with that. But let's go through some of these clips and we're going to kick off with... Actually, the second ever episode of the podcast with none other than Dame Kelly Holmes in season one, which was recorded at the National Running Show South, a time that was just after lockdown when everyone had been at home, cabin fevered up. And Dame Kelly says actually on this episode that she was struggling at that time socially and then she had to come out and speak on stage and speak to loads of different people. And then she came and recorded this podcast and a question that she was asked just before answering, and that's the clip that you're going to hear, is what's a piece of advice you would have for someone who wants to get outside but struggles mentally? And that's where we're going to join this conversation in season one with Dame Kelly Holmes.
1: Prioritise the one thing that makes you feel good. And most people do go out, you know, is hard, okay. <laughs> like anything, yeah. but you don't have to go out and, you know, break records you can just literally go out the door yeah. and breathe you Enjoy. know and I think sometimes it is about opening your door start off with a walk if yeah. you have to and then think oh, okay you know running makes me feel good so I'll yeah. get out there but if you can make that like almost like the priority that the moment you're feeling really bad that is your go-to yeah I think that could help people as well yeah, okay. you know because on dark days it's hard sometimes you just want to stay in your bed sometimes you literally don't want to see the world yeah. but you'll be like that longer you'll it will end up being more and more that you won't look after yourself but if you can maybe switch it to going okay i still don't need to speak to people i Mm -hmm. still don't have to interact i still don't have to tell people but i can go out and be with me um you know and not everyone likes to be with them you know so put some music on and yeah distract yourself yourself and yeah but i think that would be one of my things is You know, and probably the other thing that's important is to be able to share with somebody Mm -hmm. when you're not feeling great. You know, we all have a friend or somebody, a colleague or someone just we know we would trust. Yeah. But at that time, you you think you can't tell anyone and that's the problem, you know. But I think when people open up, they're quite surprised with the response that somebody either knows they've been struggling but was afraid to ask you or, um, you know, is just so grateful that you shared it with them, that they're there for you, you know.
0: That's the first clip. And I think even though it was recorded just after lockdown and in, in that really difficult period for society, I think a lot of what she says then is still very, very relevant now about how absolutely we should be talking about her, our issues and spreading that burden that we may be carrying on, on our shoulders. And she goes on in the podcast to actually talk about the power of running. And that's where we're going to join her in this next clip.
1: You know, being outside generally, but being somebody that runs. And, you know, when I say run, I, I'm definitely, these days, I say it very loosely that running is for anyone. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. where, you, where your starting point is, or where you are in your journey, or how good you think you are or not. Yeah. That actually running just has so many benefits. Of course, mm-hmm. it has a lot of health benefits generally, but I think just to go out and get that fresh air and, you know have time to think sometimes on your own is really important I think with lockdown it was very you know I saw a lot more people actually take up running Mm -hmm. because it was their chance to get out yeah and because that actually made them feel good they actually included that in the you know allowable
2: means that we
1: could do and I think now that means that maybe the community of runners have expanded because of it you know.
0: From one inspirational runner to another one in season two, the episode that I've picked from this series is with Johnny Peacock, who I have to say was probably one of the funniest guests that we actually had on the podcast through the entire nine series. He, well, not only was he meant to be there at the National Running Show Birmingham on the Sunday, he turned up on the Saturday, a whole 24 hours early, and we said, look, we're so sorry, you're meant to be speaking tomorrow. And he said... Oh, sorry, my bad, I'll be back tomorrow. And he went home and came back the next day. He was such a such a nice guy. And what was even better is that during the recording, and you will listen to this and hear this if you listen to the entire episode, the back of his chair actually fell off halfway through him answering a question. And that did provide for a very entertaining and funny moment. But um, the clip that I'm actually going to be spotlighting in this Best Bits episode is... When he talks about disability and his viewpoint on how we should view disability, uh, because he was asked this on stage and I wanted to dive into it a bit more on the podcast. And he also later goes on in the episode to talk about equal representation for all different demographics on screen and on social media. And I found it really, really interesting. And I've carried this viewpoint with me since we've recorded the episode. So this is where we join Johnny in season two.
3: Yeah. So for me, like, it's exactly, it's, it's just, a, it's like a realization I had just a couple of years ago that every, it's like able-bodied people and disabled people, they always put themselves separately mm. and they think that like they're two different kind of categories of humans almost. And it's like, they're, they're different. It's like, they look at them as just a different breed. yeah And it's like, oh, you're so inspiring. I couldn't do what you do. And it's like, well, you could. That's the funny thing is that you really could be what I'm doing. The only difference is like you could be disabled just as easily as I'm disabled. It's just luck and chance that mm. has happened to me. But the whole makeup of me versus you, we're actually quite similar. You know, we've all got brains and stuff. And we're all figured out ways in it. We've all got hardships and life's about perspective. Everyone's going to have something to overcome And it's about how you choose to overcome that. And for me, the Paralympians are all just examples of human beings showing you how capable they are and how, if you put a barrier in the way, they'll find a way either around it or over it. There's always an option and a choice there. And I just like to say that I think that all Paralympians and all disabled people are just human beings showing you, what the strength is that we all have. So that's what I like to say is that all the able-bodied people sitting there is just don't look at a disabled person as as separate and think that that inspiration that they have. And that mental strength is, is, is solely for them. Every single one of us has that mental strength and that, and that ability within us. It's just about kind of accessing it. I think the world, yeah, the world's changing. I think like our human attitudes changing of what, so we're just trying to be nicer. I think as a generation, we're trying to realize what's acceptable as like from society. And, you know i think social media has kind of brought our eyes around to all of these small instances and nuances that would have happened and we would never have known about and now suddenly it goes viral and Mm -hmm. we're all actually outraged at how terrible that is and we should be treating each other with kindness and love and suddenly over the last what five years we're actually seeing discrimination slowly be eradicated i feel like it's definitely still going to be there but sexism is improving racism is improving disability discrimination is improving representation for for all of those fronts is improving
0: but it interrupted a good point that you were saying about yeah 15 percent of people are, are disabled
3: in the world and you wouldn't see that you wouldn't see that represented in world no, exactly not on tv and i think like we're starting to see that now so with mm. all the reality shows that i think come out and i think that's what's really cool for me like love island to see a disabled contestant going into love island i know is so cool because love island is now seen as this It's almost seen as like, it's how the kids view, I don't even know, it's just... Society and world and people and what you should be and how human interaction is. It's literally like this little experiment of human interaction, exactly. And for them to throw a disabled person into that and for them to be accepted as a human being maybe actually a little bit of a a penis, (laughs) you know, not based on his disability, but based on the human being that he is. And that's all we're starting to realise now is actually, I think that... And it's the same thing you always do when we're kids... When we're kids, you see, it's the same thing, that that classic photo of racism. It's the two kids, you know, running up to each other. They don't look at it because they don't see it. But then we grow up and we start learning. We start putting people in boxes and start kind of categorizing them as all different before actually realizing that we're all the same. We've all got different emotions and it doesn't really matter what you look like. It matters what you stand for. Yeah. And that's the important thing.
0: It doesn't matter what you look like, it matters what you stand for. I really like that quote and I think it really epitomises that whole segment and whole point that Johnny is trying to get across. So that is the standout for me from season two. And we then skip forward to season three where I think this was quite an easy one. We had some amazing guests on season three, but I couldn't not pick the episode that is still to this day the most popular most listened to and most downloaded episode. And that is with the one and only Ben Fogel, who is just such a good ambassador for the outdoors. He spoke so openly about how he finds it strange that people don't engage with the outdoors more. And actually people think that you're weird if you love the outdoors and love surrounding yourself in nature Whereas actually it should be the other way around. We should be openly encouraged to get outside and be active and This clip in particular is Ben talking about climbing Mount Everest, the the tallest mountain in the world, and his interesting view on that. And he precedes it with talking about the challenge where he rode the Atlantic with James Cracknell and that challenge and how that actually prepared him for uh, that and a few other challenges prepared him for climbing Mount Everest. And I found it really, really, really interesting, which is why I have included it. So take a listen to this clip, where Ben Fogel is talking about climbing Mount Everest and his row of the Atlantic with James Cracknell.
4: That, that was a really difficult challenge yeah. because, and, and not just because rowing the Atlantic is a difficult challenge. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sound glib. I've said this before. I think if I was to do it again tomorrow, I'd find it a walk in the park because it it was where I was in my life. I'd never mm-hmm. done anything like that before. Yeah. I'd never suffered that kind of sleep deprivation over that period of time. I'd never. I'd been away for that amount of time from friends and family, but never on an isolated ocean with yeah. with someone I didn't really know at that stage, James Cracknell. And, uh, and I, 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 I'm loath to say this because I always want to kind of, tie everything up with a beautiful bow and make it all sound beautiful. But th- there wasn't much happiness during that no. row. It was, there weren't many. It, I don't, I didn't smile much. No. I don't think we laughed at once. A few blisters. I it wasn't, it was well. just, it, it was a kind of a suffer fest really. Yeah. But it was the making of me. Yeah. I learned a huge amount. Uh, and, and I think every challenge I've done since culminating in Everest uh, yeah. a few years ago, I couldn't have done any of those. Had I not really rode the Atlantic it. because it was the, it's the, the it's the leg. You know, a lot of it uh, when I climbed Everest, you know, there's always going to be kind of skeptics and critics out there, and a lot of people said, "Well, you know, are you? Is it really a mountain that you climb now? Is uh, uh, is this really a challenge?" And the uh, the other half said, um, "Should you even really be there? Because you're not really a proper mountaineer." Right. So I'm just giving you the negative, yeah. the, the, some of the negative side, but my answer was always to climb Everest. You don't have to be an expert climber who has climbed hundreds of mountains. Yes, you have to respect the mountains. You have to understand mountaineering and you have to be incredibly competent and you have to have put in the due diligence. And I did that. I I climbed many mountains in the years leading up to it. But for me, my training was rowing the Atlantic Ocean. It was walking to the South Pole. It was running the Marathon des Sables because so many of these big challenges our mind over matter it's not about the physicality of it now obviously technicality comes into it as well and mountains involve more technicality than some other arts or disciplines like running across the desert where you've got a pair of trainers and it's a war of attrition yeah um but for me it's all of those challenges that have built up to where i am
0: now We travel from London and Ben Fogel right up to Liverpool with Rob Pope. And Rob Pope, if you haven't heard of him before, is otherwise known as the real life Forrest Gump. And if you haven't seen him or Googled him, um, especially when he's taking on the challenge that gave him that name, ultimately, you'll understand why. Um, Rob was someone that I recorded with at the National Running Show South. And he was hilarious. So, so funny. We chatted about how we got into ultra running, about the Marathon to Saab. But ultimately, we spoke about this run across America, which gave him the name of the real life, real life Forrest Gump. And ultimately, he got that because he took on the route that Forrest runs in the film. And this clip is how the idea of it came about, some of the logistics around it. And I just loved this episode because I thought Rob was such a lovely guy. And as well as him himself being such an incredible ultra runner and he was speaking at the show, I could also see him buzzing around the show as a fan, meeting other runners and looking up to other runners in the community that he's idolised for a while. So a really, really nice guy and also a really interesting clip about... How the run across America came about. So, coming on to you know a massive thing that you're known for, um, the real life Forrest Gump. Talk to us about where that came from and the challenge that is alongside it.
5: Yeah, so um, I did a little survey when I was out there, and it turns out that Forrest Gump is in fact the long distance runner that Americans are most familiar with. You know, sort of uh, the only other athletic name I got in my survey was Steve Prefontaine, the the Nike Mustachio legend. And, um, if you are going you know, to look at running across America or even to be honest, even if you're just a guy with a cap running past the pub, someone's going to bring up Forrest Gump, you know, sort of, uh, in various shades of amusement. And, um, so when I first thought I would like to run across America one day back in, I think it was like 2006, um, Even though I wasn't running his route, you know, you look at Run Across America and you'll see pictures of Forrest Gump. And then you just go, what route did he do? And then uh, somebody had done quite a bit of research into putting together his route from a map that you see behind a newsreader, landmarks he hit along the way. And I thought, oh, well, I'm not doing that because it's ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, And as it happened, I didn't run across America before I moved to Australia. And I ended up buying a jogging stroller with the express purpose of running across Australia but that never happened because life was happening. Yeah. And it was only when I got back to the UK and I was just like, no, I'm going to do this run across America. I've got a stroller. I can do it. I looked into the run and I thought, I want to do something big for charity. And I thought, if I'm going to do something big, it needs to be unique. You know, the, the, I think only 300 people also have run across America. So, like, dwarfed by the amount of people who have climbed Everest. Uh, but still 300 people. And I thought, I want to do something that's just me. And even though I didn't choose something that was just me, like – he was a fictional character, I believe. I got told it wasn't a documentary. Very disappointed. <laughs> and, um yeah, and so I just looked into his route and I just thought, well, tell you what, I'll do the first leg of it with the express intention of carrying on after that, but I didn't expect that I would manage to get to the end. If only one person did, and that was my girlfriend, now wife, Nadine. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was,
0: it, you went 15,600 miles in 422 days. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> That's un, almost unfathomable. Where does the motivation come for that? You just mentioned their charity. That's obviously yeah. a large part of it.
5: In the film, Forrest gets asked if he's running for women's rights, the homeless, world peace, the environment, or animals. And so I was running for two charities, uh, Peace Direct, which uh, covered the first three, and the World Wildlife Fund, which covers the, the last two. Um, but it was all sort of, you know, those two with the base of a pyramid at the top was um, like sort of a... Something that my mum said to me uh, before, like she passed away, which is, you know, just do something in your life that makes a difference. And so that was the sort of thing is what inspired me to do the the biggest run rather than, um, you know, my original goal, which is big enough. You know, sort of um, certainly uh, anybody, you know, who, who runs across the length of this country, you know, has got a lot, uh, you know, a lot of uh, kudos there. But like, sort of, you know, America's such a big place when you're flying over it. And you're like, uh, you know, when I was like flying back, because occasionally I had to come back to the UK um, because of my visa ran out. But I I wish I didn't have to because those breaks made it worse because you were completely detrained in that time and you'd have to go back and fight those first three weeks again. But I'd be flying over the country and I'd be looking down and going, oh, are they the Finger Lakes in New York? I ran past them. I actually, oh, that's where I had that burrito. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: that's a good point, food. Mm. When you're doing these long distances and these challenges – the food is a massive part of it. I mean, I I can't begin to imagine how many calories and how much food you would have consumed over doing. I mean, massive challenges, right?
5: Yeah, like sort of. I think it was about five and a half thousand, six thousand a day. You know, there'd, there'd be ups and downs depending on sort of where I was and you know how organised I'd been. Because it was like sort of um, even when I was um crewed by my girlfriend, that's pretty much the extent of my crewing. That was for about fifty percent of it. Um, When I was on my own, I was a lot less organised and I'd be like sometimes relying on finding a gas station or a a burger joint somewhere. And then sometimes I'd just be going through endless supplies of like sachet porridge. We come now
0: to season five and this episode is with Harrison Ward, otherwise known as the Fell Foodie. And I've chosen this episode... And this clip, not only because I think it's really impactful and powerful and a, and a pivotal part of Harrison's story. And I do implore you to go and listen to the entire episode after the fact, because it's a really, really interesting, and quite emotional story. And you'll get that from this clip. Um, so I've chosen this because of that, but also because... The story behind the recording of this episode is quite funny. I mean, it wasn't funny at all at the time, but I can laugh about it now that the episode actually finally got out. But what had happened is Harrison's based up north. I'm down south. And so we recorded online and it all went really, really well. had a great conversation, really, really interesting, diving into his story and came away from it, went to edit it. And as soon as I put, the audio track into the editing software. It just didn't come up. It didn't like it. There was an error, I tried everything I could and it was not working. The The audio had corrupted. And I thought, no, I've just had this basically 50 minute long conversation with Harrison about his story. And it was going to be great. It was coming on the next week. You know, next was this week's episode and it had corrupted. I sent him an email that day and I said, I'm so sorry, but the audio's corrupted. Do you mind like, is there any chance if we could record again? And, and I was thinking, he's going to say no. He's going to say, like, I've, I've already recorded, you know, I'm so sorry, but not going to be able to. And he said, yeah, of course. When do you want to jump on? Do you want to do it tomorrow? And we did, and we recorded again, and he gave just as good uh, um, a conversation an interview as we had recorded before, and luckily all good with that episode. But um, this this story is incredible. I mean, Harrison was going to uni and then he was entered a real deep depression. He was drinking 20 pints of alcohol a day. He was in the pub and and in the clubs from morning until night. He was drinking beer whilst brushing his teeth in the morning. Really, really deep, deep depression before he then had a cathartic moment where he reached, uh, he was reached out to by a friend and he started exploring the fells. And that's ultimately where the fell foodie persona came from. And we, Join this clip when he's talking about some of the, well, two of the points actually that he really thought his life needed to change. So here's Harrison talking about those two pivotal moments in his life. Turn around.
6: I suppose there's, there's two big moments, I guess, in this sort of time frame that the, that really began this sort of turnaround. I mean, the first one perhaps was the, was the first almost chink in the armor, the first almost breaking breaking down really of, of what, what i'd gone through was it was around my sort of 21st birthday in york when i had a lot of friends come to visit uh, in this city we all went out and of course celebrated as yes you would do various crawling around various bars and pubs and again at the time i was very solitary and um as the time had gone on and more and more friends went home it, it began to dawn on me how alone i actually felt in this city although i worked and had other friends and acquaintances they were kind of maybe more situational based I suppose because of where I was in and one particular night I mean I was quite elusive at this point too I didn't have a phone I didn't have any bit I was not being contacted um I just sort of went out of business and would turn up when I turned up for various events and on the last day I I was walking home to to my place of residence which was which was quite close to the, the the train tracks in New York and it was the early hours of the morning um I was completely inebriated and I don't recall the actual phone call too much but I made a call home to, to my mum on a pay phone um, in the early hours and just really had one one intention uh, and all it was was to say goodbye. I, I, I felt like I hit a point where I couldn't I couldn't go on any further. I mean, this, this sort of vice I was utilising to try and keep me here, keep me present wasn't giving me that escapism anymore and it was a moment I just didn't feel like I could continue and I felt like that was my final solution really and it was something that, I guess at the time, could have been a big catalyst moment, could have been a big moment of change, and it did bring me, bring me home at the time. I, I came back to sort of Cumbria, and I did seek some medical help for the first time at that point, and obviously my mum was aware, and a close friend who was there at the time was aware of what had gone on. But I wasn't willing to make the change at that point. So really, literally, within the space of a week, a week and a half, I booked a train ticket back to York. I went back and continued in exactly the same way as I had done for a further four years. Um, I suppose at this point it was very clear that this was now a medicinal tool for me. Mm. that this was but wasn't openly no, known to to those around. And then, I suppose the next moment, really of the change that was, was the ultimate was the huge catalyst for this moment of change was was finding, I suppose, a partner in your something. I guess I'd longed for at the time, someone to sort of share things with and experience new things. And but I was already in a relationship at the time with alcohol, and, and the two, of course, didn't didn't connect. Well, it was quite hidden still, that lifestyle. I wasn't. I worked very different hours to her, so it was very much known so that I could hide behind the scenes, but it was always known that obviously I was drinking most days, but again, the extent wasn't. And ultimately as time went on, more and more arguments began to form because of this um, abuse of substance and this would create more, more heavier arguments and really would ultimately always involve me heading out and just drowning my sorrows again or just drinking on it, just escaping the situation, ignoring it, running away and drinking again. Uh, and on one particular one of these occasions that I went out, um, I, I acted unfaithfully to, to this partner and it was discovered, uh, the reasons behind this. And, and I, I, by no means do I blame alcohol for this, but it was certainly a catalyst for why I got there. But I had to obviously hold myself accountable for, for my own actions at this point. And it was rightly so the end of the relationship. Um, And this moment was was the 6th of June, 2016, uh, and really became the first moment for me that I felt that this this advice I was utilizing to try and help myself had now become a problem to others. I felt quite compromised as a person. I felt like I was no longer the person uh, I felt I was. I felt it changed me. And I'll I mean, be lying, if it wasn't an issue to try and win this partner back, but I vowed to remove alcohol from my life at that moment as, I guess, I can and I can change the moment, if you will, so the 6th of June 2016, I smoked my last cigarette that day, I'd thrown those in the bin and I went to work the following day and I remember a colleague had come out to me and they basically um, said, there's something not quite right with you today, and I just completely broke down in front of you, I was just shattered, my, my foundations had crumbled really in my life, I, my, my my armour had become sort of weak and, and I'd, I'd, I'd cracked. And he told me to go sit outside and sort of try and gain, get a bit of myself out there. And I didn't come back in for, for six, seven hours, just sat out there. And another colleague had come on to take the shift over in the afternoon at that point and came straight out of the pint glass and said, yeah, get this down here. And I said, I don't drink anymore, John. And he just looked at me and said, You was. I said, I don't drink anymore. And it was someone that had obviously seen me like pretty much every day for the last sort of four years, the end of the bar, borderline sort of human vacuum cleaner, drinking whatever was available. And literally overnight, I don't drink anymore, John. And it was a period of obviously a lot of change, a lot of foundations crumbling, completely feeling broken as a person mentally, sort of the heartbreak side, and then the withdrawal that was beginning. And I felt quite quickly that I couldn't remain in this environment and go through this change. So... Without saying goodbye to anyone, obviously I'd lost my partner at this point. I left my job, I quit my flats, and I returned to Cumbria, and came completely clean for the first time to to everybody on my, my public Facebook at the time, um, sort of friends and family, of of why I'd left York and the reasons why behind this. So it was a moment where I felt completely vulnerable, but also exposed. Uh, 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 and accountable because I'd, I'd hurt someone that I cared about at the time. and But I knew I couldn't make this change if I stayed in that environment. It was too familiar with for me. Um, so coming back home again to, to get those next steps and to move away were really the, the moments of uh, of major change.
0: That was a bit of a longer clip, but I think it was really important to get all of it in. It was a really powerful story. And like I said, just before I played it, I really do encourage you to go and listen to the entire episode and Um, Listen to his entire story because it's really powerful and entertaining and a sort of, well, I can't believe that happened to someone. But also to go from the depths of that sadness to where he then got to and the life that he's forged for himself since is incredible. So once you finish listening to this and all the clips, then head over and, and listen to that and add that to your downloads. But we now move on to season six. Where again, very, very difficult season to pick an episode from. We had some amazing people on there, a lot of them from the snow and ski industry. We had the world's fastest snowboarder, we had Katie Ormrod, who is an Olympi- uh, Olympic snowboarder, and I had to go with someone who I hadn't really heard of before she spoke at the National Snow Show, but having spoken to her, she is one of the most incredible women I have had the pleasure of speaking to, and that is Molly Hughes. She was the youngest English woman to summit Everest from both the north and south sides of the mountain. I didn't even know necessarily that there were two routes up there, but she informed me that there were, and she summited from both sides. However, where we join this conversation is where she is talking about her solo expedition to the South Pole. And when I say it's solo, she is dragging all of her food, her energy, her equipment, her tenting equipment with her and a sled behind her. And she is following a compass that is mounted to her chest in front of her towards the South. And she was there for over two months, trekking towards the South Pole. And that's where we join this podcast, talking about the whiteout that she experienced at the beginning of the challenge and also what she was feeling towards the end when she had to reconnect with society. So here is Molly talking about that.
7: And I guess that the hardest part of the whole trip was right in the beginning because I had like whiteout conditions for eight and a half days straight.
0: So just explain what whiteout.
7: So whiteout is when the the visibility comes right down into your face and you can't see more than about a meter in front of you. So left looks the same as right and up looks the same as down and it's just cloud. And it started on day two of my expedition and it stuck on me until day eight and a half. Um, So that was the biggest psychological test of, of just seeing nothing apart from staring down at your compass, hoping you're going in the right direction.
0: Completing that challenge, it was your second world record, youngest woman in the world to make that journey. How was that feeling? Not even when you finished, but I'm interested in that last when you kind of, do you know when you wake up and you think this is going to be the last? half day it was how's that feeling waking up to begin with
7: so i think like the night before that i could have made it to the south pole and i saw it on the horizon it's the first thing you see for a long time it's this massive like american science space actual buildings all sorts going on there and it's like slightly elevated so you see it from i think it was maybe like 20 nautical miles away Um, how
0: many days before is it? can you see it
7: so you, you could do that in a very long day if you wanted to. So maybe maybe a day, day and a half. Um, oh,
0: wow. And, you could just see it there. Yeah,
7: and I skied so fast. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to, I was thinking so much, am I going to go tonight? Am I going to ski through the night to get there? Um, and I got about five nautical miles away. And I just kind of felt this huge amount of like trepidation and almost like fear of getting there. I think because I'd been alone for so long mm. and I'd just been focusing so much on, each day. But then at the pole, that kind of signified, well, other people. There'd be people to see and and talk to. Then from there, I'd be like reintroducing myself to the world, to society, to in a few days time, opening my laptop for emails and social media and all of that stuff that I hadn't had for two months was all there. So I felt this huge amount of trepidation that night. So I just decided to stop and I, I camped five miles, five nautical miles from the pole. I spent one more night alone in Antarctica. Um woke up super early that next morning and I was ready then.
0: We move on from Molly to season seven, where again, very difficult to choose, but I actually chose an episode with Arj Thurvichelven, who I had one of my best conversations with. I think it was the first episode that I headed into Waterloo, into Brewdog at Waterloo to their podcast studios to record with Arj in person because he's from Birmingham and we stayed and recorded for about an hour, but we also then chatted before and afterwards for another couple of hours. And I could have had an episode that was about three hours long, but really, really lovely, lovely guy. And um, it was all about the truth about losing weight and fad diets and fitness. And it was full of tips and tricks that people could literally take away with them and implement into their lives the next day, which is why I absolutely loved This episode, and that's why I've chosen this clip, because he's talking about the social dynamic of Strava. And if you haven't heard of Strava, it's a running app where you can set it to go when you're running or walking or swimming or cycling. And it tracks your time, your distance, your pacing, your calories, lots of different metrics, but it becomes a bit of a showboating social dynamics sometimes and sometimes you can think about how fast you're running and you can get too over obsessed about all of these different metrics whereas ultimately you should just be thinking about getting outside and active and this is our take on it and i loved it and that's why it's part of this best bits episode
8: there strava's great right i think strava is one of the best things going available for sponsorship no <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it is absolutely fantastic right we are all in such different places to run and stuff. It it It's just ridiculous to think you have to... It's effectively justification, isn't it? You know, when you write in, oh, do my steady run. Or, you know, oh, this was an interval session. That's why the... the times capa- it, yeah. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous to feel like that. And the, an easy, easy way of blaming this, an easy way, like a tool that, if you're listening right now, is that every time you go out and run without um, an intention in your head, and you run at this kind of difficult pace, a lot of people refer to this as zone three, you are treading water. In zone three, you're not improving your ceiling, your speed ceiling, getting faster, getting ultimately what is fitter, and you're also not going easy enough to improve your cardiovascular system. And therefore, the only single benefit that's a very extreme term. But the main benefit you're really getting from that is just being active for the day and you know the stress relief, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So how about you view that run slightly differently and think, oh, actually, my easy pace is seven minutes a K. So I should be walking and jogging realistically. And therefore I'm following an intention to improve. Rather than thinking uh, 5 minute 30, you know, I could just about get my 5K done at 5.30 paces. Actually, if I was training elite, I'd have said, no, you could 100% have pushed to some 1K intervals there at 4.45, and that would improve your performance. Or you could have run that at 6.20, 6.30, and you would improve your cardiovascular system. Instead, you've been worried about your ego, you've stayed in this middle zone, and you haven't really improved a lot.
0: So there's a great piece of advice if you're a Strava user and worrier, exactly like I was. Um, Don't worry about what other people think. And actually, sometimes running slower is going to be better for you. And I learned that from Arj. And there's a load more advice that you can take from that episode. So again, add that to your downloads. We move forward to season eight, where we travel across the seas to a Canadian guest. Well, I say that. He actually recorded in the UK. And that's part of the reason why... I chose this clip in this episode is because it's with the incredibly talented ultra runner, Gary Robbins. And this is special to me, not only because it's the first time Gary was properly in the UK and I ha- I was lucky enough to record with him after he spoke at the show. But he is also a, the person and part of the time period where I was exposed to ultra marathons and what the Barkley Marathon is. And if you don't know what the Barkley Marathon is... Go and search it after you finish listening to this because it's an unbelievably extraordinary race and he was uh, someone who took part in it a few times and has a very, very interesting relationship with that race and one of the best documentaries, forget running, but one of the best documentaries that I've ever watched um, where dreams go to die. So the opportunity to have a chat with him was something that I was really looking forward to and the conversation lived up to that expectation. But... I actually chose this clip because it's one of the funniest bits. Um, usually, again, like I said in the intro, I edit bits and pieces of the conversation sometimes to keep it flowing. And if there's a, an error or an audio thing or whatever, I try and keep it as smooth as possible. Um, but what actually happened is that his family, his, his um, little one and, and wife were roaming around the show and they, I could see them in the door, the window in the door behind him peeking through. And I just was like, you know what, they can come in and be part of the conversation. And it actually made for quite a wholesome and entertaining section of the podcast that I thought I'd keep in. So this is why uh, this section on the Gary Robbins podcast has made it into my outside and active best bits.
2: Um, I certainly come across as an extrovert and I I primarily am, but I also have introverted ways about me. Mm. I really need my individual time on a day to day basis. And I run primarily by myself and it's a really healthy space for me to be in. I solve the world's problems in the first 20 minutes and I solve most of my own in the next 20. Um, And I really enjoy that, but it definitely took years of doing it with other people to get to a a place where I was comfortable and confident enough to do things by myself. And then the next step of really enjoying being able to escape and spend time by myself outside.
0: I think we have a, there's a, there's a visitor
2: that's a child out there, hey? I just saw through. I was listening to you. <laughs> I saw you looking With over my shoulder. On. That child has pink headphones on, earmuffs, that he did not have an hour ago. And my wife has red head. Okay.
0: <laughs> they are welcome to come in. I don't have seats for them. You can come in if you want. That's they can funny. come in and say hello. <laughs> there is nothing like a, a, a mid-podcast.
2: <laughs> Interruption by family members. Yeah, that's It's right. great. Well, Hello. you guys are sporting something you didn't have 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I don't
0: have chairs for you, unfortunately, but you're you more can... than welcome to stay in.
2: You want to say hi real quick? Look at this camera over this way. Just have... Say hi. Wave stay at the camera. How cute. Hey, Reedster, come over and say hi, bud. You want to come say hi? No, you don't need to. You don't need to. Happy with the earmuffs have... in the line. Yeah, that's... is that Hello Kitty earmuffs? Um, yeah. yeah, nice. Okay. You guys do your thing. That's all right. That, that is
0: all staying in. <laughs> that's all staying in. I
2: certainly hope so. Well, when I had this opportunity to come to the UK for the National Running Show um i was all in but i also said i will not go on a trip without my family right now because again that is that is a priority that i've made and we really enjoy traveling together so have they been over before no it's our first time oh. i've only been the heathrow airport i've never actually been outside the airport so it's oh, been it's a wonderful yeah exactly it's been a wonderful this is day four or five for us now
0: oh nice, so a bit of time in london and then Birmingham. we went straight
2: from london to manchester i have oh, okay. a friend that has a flat up that way that he offered up so we were up that way for three days came down here yesterday and then we've got three days here before flying home
0: And now we move forward to where we are now, in the present day, in season nine. And again, another season where there's been some unbelievable guests. But I couldn't look past the conversation I had, actually most recently, with Ray Mears, a, a truly incredible ambassador to the outdoors and the most primitive version of the outdoors that you can think of. He is so, so ingrained in the wilderness bushcraft industry area zone that it was just a fountain of knowledge and really, really interesting to speak to him. I mean, it was slightly intimidating um, when I first met him, but also very reassuring when we were recording. Um, And I usually plan these conversations loosely. So I roughly know how I want the conversation to go and certain directions that I want the conversation to go down, but obviously can ultimately pull push on different answers and questions depending on how the conversation goes but this was something i had no idea we were going to talk about and we went into talking about modern day society social media young people's views towards the outdoors and it was actually quite interesting having the contrast towards someone who has been in that industry for 40 years and then you know a relatively young person in myself at 25 years old who loves the outdoors but maybe has a slightly different relationship with social media and the outdoors itself so that's where we join this clip um chatting to Ray Mears about those topics and I found it really interesting so that's why it's part of this best bits section
9: I can really, I I really, you know, take on board what he said there. I spend an awful lot of my time trying not to be seen because I'm a private person and I hate the intrusion of phones. We, this year I'm celebrating 40 years of bushcraft and, um, I've seen a lot of things change in that time. And I I would tell you about 10 years ago, we we went through this phase, the selfie phase where people (laughs) would, Would come on a you know a training course, which are full on proper training course. This is a serious business. They were only there to get their photograph taken with me to make it look as though they were doing what I do, and that drives me nuts. You know, put the phone aside yeah. and live a little. Brilliant. I I I don't see so many people in their uh, their late twenties outdoors as I used to, and I wonder that we lost a generation to computer games and social media. And that really bothers me because I know that one day they're going to wake up and go, do you know, I wish I'd done that. Um, because we used to see people in their forties who'd gone, who hadn't gone outdoors because they'd, they'd gone into careers. And then they suddenly wake up one day and go, say, I've got everything I wanted, but actually I'm still not happy. And then you find them going outdoors and doing amazing trips. But I think there's this, I'm really worried that we've lost a generation.
0: S- social media is a weird one. Cause like you said, it's that the potential that that generation has been taken away from instead of I'm going to go outdoors and go for a walk. It's I'm just going to go and sit and scroll on X, Y, Z social media but on the flip side of that. It's a tool for you to be able to um, speak to a, an engaged audience about, you know, it might be through a, previously through a book or through a television program, but now there's another medium to be able to access that. So see, where's that balance? That, that's,
9: that's the voice of your generation. It's a really? generation divide here. Whereas to me, it's like I turn my phone off. I don't need someone to tell me what to do. I will go and look, look for myself. Uh, I'll, I'll travel. I don't need a Lonely Planet guide. Let me just find out for myself. I want to see with my own eyes, feel with my own hands, talk to people communicate directly face to face with people. I don't want to go onto a phone and look and see what other people are telling me. I don't trust stuff I see on there. I mean, yes, there is for certain, there's really good information on there, but you have to wade through so much oh, junk Absolutely, and, and the, the, the repetition of something. Somebody makes a video, somebody copies it, puts their own little twists on it. And it's like Chinese whispers. You move further and further from the truth. Um, <laughs> And I and I, I it's really interesting. I've, obviously, I've travelled a lot. When I, I the, one of the big things I notice now is when the aircraft lands, wherever you are, there's a boom, and you can take your seatbelt. So people don't take the belts off. It used to be you'd hear clicking belts. I now know. it's heads down, phones up, and it's like, what's going on? This is very unhealthy. And I, I don't, you know, we should be masters of our tools, not mastered by them.
0: And that brings us to the last clip that I want to share with you. And I said at the very beginning that I'd be showing a clip from an episode of each series that I think epitomizes the Outside and Active podcast the most. And I hope that these clips have done that, whether they're inspirational, educational, entertaining. Um, But this last clip is something that I chose because I think it's the one that stands out out of every single episode of the podcast. And I've been very fortunate to speak with professional athletes and people with hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram and people that have done inspirational and, and incredible adventures and challenges. And to be honest, the piece of advice that comes in this next clip and the story behind this man, Kevin Weber is probably the one that has stuck with me the most. Um, Kevin, was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2014 and was given a couple of years to live. And he ultimately got to that two year period where he told that he was not going to be on the planet anymore and he was still alive. So he thought, well, I'm, I'm going to continue to take on different challenges and adventures and raise money and run marathons because he, he loves his running and his viewpoint That you'll get from this clip is so, so true about how, how fragile life can be and how maybe we don't appreciate the time that we have. And that's why I wanted to include it. And I've, I've had this clip and this advice and this thought stay with me since the day we recorded it. And I want to put it back to people who maybe haven't listened to that episode. So this is Kevin Weber talking about his experience with prostate cancer and how he lives every day as if it was his last.
10: Well, I'm lucky. I know that life is short. Mm-hmm. I know that it could be over quite soon for me. And most people walk around thinking that they're going to live until they're 90 years old. And I hope they do. But no one knows when the bus is going to knock them over. Yep. And you just don't want that regret. And, it, and it's not just the person who got knocked over. That's the person that didn't go and see them when they could have done the day before they were knocked over. The person that didn't help them. Maybe the person didn't do something and would have stopped them getting knocked over. So to me, every day you do things. So before I was ill, if someone had phoned me on a Sunday night and said, do you want to go for a beer? I might say, oh, I was out last night, a bit yeah. tired. Stay in. Stay in. Now I say, let's go. Mm. You don't ever put it off because I might never get asked again. And and how do I know? That person might be asking me because they might have some mental health issues, might be tough at home, might be some bad news. So by me saying no, I'm also letting them down as well.
0: Yeah, and like you said you're cherishing every moment what point was it that you kind of knew that 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 stop clock almost wasn't the two years you were you were actually in a good position in, in continuing to go
10: i think it was two years
0: really because <laughs> you, you can't help it when no. someone says
10: two years it's like you're focused you're on it a bit like a watch. finish line mm. you know i had this finish line that i didn't want to get to yeah and i got there and i crossed the line and and the track <laughs> carried on so i thought well <laughs> I'll, dare I'll i going. step another day and i <laughs> and i kept on going and so and now I just well, I know every day's a gift, so I no longer worry about it.
3: Mm.
10: And and I have to admit this might be bravado. When the day comes maybe I'll be in tears and everything else. But actually I think I can't get cross or upset. You know, I've had five more years than I ever thought I'd have. And they've been five brilliant years. And you know, I've had some treatment and some wobbles along the way. Yeah. But actually those five years have been fantastic. I've done loads of good things, met amazing people, raised loads of money for charity. Mm just you know i written a book or everything i just feel so you know just happy about life
0: as i've said with many of these episodes i really do encourage you to go and listen to the full episodes that are available on the outside active website or on uh, a lot of them are on youtube as video versions on apple Podcasts or on spotify uh, wherever you listen to your podcast we're likely going to be there um Again, I hope you really enjoyed listening to some of the best bits through the seasons and then finishing with that piece of inspiration from Kevin. Um, It's been a pleasure to be able to have these conversations with people and bring it to you and and see this community grow and see the downloads grow and see the listeners grow and the followers grow. So thank you so much for being part of that adventure. I'm looking forward to being back with season 10 with even more incredible guests. I'm sure there'll be more funny moments. There'll be more entertaining moments, inspiring moments, uh, some deep moments. But thank you for sticking with us. We'll be back very soon with season 10 of the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dominic Brown. And until next time, enjoy the outdoors.